0: Hey guys, what is up? Welcome back to another episode of the Elite Investing Show. For this episode, episode 101, 101 episodes. For this episode, I had Morten Sorensen, a Danish dividend investor who invests in dividend stocks, high in dividend aristocrats, not necessarily high yielding, but stocks for the purpose of cash flow. It's a different perspective of investing and a kind of investing I've never had on the podcast as yet. He shares some great tips on how to pick stocks and how he goes about picking stocks as well as his investment philosophy and ending with a couple of thoughts on the coronavirus. I hope you enjoy the show.
1: Thank you so much for being on my podcast. Well, thank you for having me.
0: So, Martin, how did you get started as an investor? So. Like uh, develop an interest in investing and how did you get started with investing in dividend stocks?
1: Yeah, well uh, we need to go quite a few years back I'm um, uh, some 30 year old uh, guy living in Denmark and uh, I was so lucky that uh, I have a dad who actually gifted me a single share when I was around 10 years old and he was in the largest brewery in, in Denmark, uh, Carlsberg I don't know if you know it um, I was immediately hooked about the idea. Uh, I owned part of a business, which was really great. And um, it was back then we did have internet, but you know it was the early days of the internet. So I had to look up the stock price every morning in the newspaper. Uh, and I was so excited when I woke up. I ran down and found the newspaper and looked up. Oh, okay, we went up two points today or something. So I, I did all that before school and. After school, sometimes I would say like, "Oh man, now I made you know a hundred dollars or whatever in total," and uh, yeah, that was that was a lot of fun. Um, from there, you know, it's been a long journey. Um, I don't have that Carlsberg share anymore, but uh, I'm still very grateful to my dad for for giving it to me and and making me well helping me start this journey. And um, since then, you know, it it sort of uh, developed. Um, Back then I was just mainly focused on the price, you know, if if I got it for let's say 100 and next day it was 102 that was great and if the next day it was 104 that was even better so I was basically just hoping for that number to go up because I was 10 years old that was more or less what I could comprehend at that time. Um, then I started getting into actually understanding, you know, share price, earning per share, price earning and understanding that it was more or less like when you go to the grocery store and buying potatoes and you look at the unit price to compare, like wh- what are you getting for your money here? Um, so so uh, that brought me there and then slowly, you know, uh, this is going very quick, but uh, through uh, Benjamin Graham, the teacher of Warren Buffett and Warren Buffett himself, I started like thinking, well, as, as Benjamin Graham said. Um, you know the stock price, the the price, uh, the stock market itself. You know, it's not always uh, rational, and uh, one day it's very rational, and the next day it's very irrational, and I that started making me wonder, like, well, it's kind of weird that you are okay with it being irrational when you buy at the low price, but then you are kind of hoping for the stock market to be rational the day you want to sell it. Or at least, you know, not irrational in terms of it being too low. It's like, that's a weird thing that you're coming on a friend or whatever. Like, that's, uh, that you know some days it's not okay. And then you still say, yeah, yeah, I'll deal with you. So I started thinking, okay, well, how, how do I sort of get away from that? And And one of the reasons is through dividends. Because if you hold a dividend stock forever, you only need to deal with, Mr. Market wants, and that's when you buy. You don't basically you don't care whatever the the price of the stock is after. So so that's one of the big things that got me into dividend investing. And then the whole idea about being a part owner of a company, not just some you know arbitrary uh, share price on a computer screen. like you 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 are partly owning Coca-Cola or whatever uh, company and you are getting a part of that cash flow they generate and you know they distribute to the shareholders so so that's really what what got me into dividend investing
0: so when did you start like more actively investing
1: yeah. into shares um so <clears throat> i was 10 when i got that first year more or less and then I think around 15 I would start investing with my own money still obviously not big sums of money and then um, still learning and by 18 I it really took off because uh, that's the uh, legal age in Denmark so I sort of started having more to say before it was through my, my parents um, And um, then I actually got a job in a bank where I wasn't in the, the the trading section of the bank, but but obviously when you're in a financial institution, you're closer to that whole thing. And I always wanted to have lunch with with the guys at the trading floor and like just picking their brain, what's going up today. And and I, I have some great memories from that time. Uh, I had a guy that uh, he'd been there for 20, 30 years, and he he explained a lot of things about price movement with a simple pencil, just hold it up and like the things he could explain that that was incredible. Um, And then um, back then I, around 19 or 20, I still wasn't too focused on dividends exactly, Uh, actually. I I was more, uh, I was still just part of like being an investor. Uh, I knew I didn't want to do day trading, but then again, you know, when you started looking at share prices every day, you sort of got a feeling like, okay, this seems like it's out of the range and I would start, uh, I guess, without knowing to do swing trading. Uh, and I, I was actually kind of su- successful with it. And when I look back at it now, I'm thinking, uh, maybe that was, <laughs> a, that was not a gift, that uh, was not a gift. because It was just luck. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I, I actually managed to make. Uh, I, I remember this. This was during 2009, that I was actually making quite good money on on swing trading. And I thought, okay, I got this. And I think <laughs> I, I think I got overconfident about it because uh, eventually, you know, it sort of like died out, and I was like, I realized I couldn't just look at the share price and say, no, no, this will go back up because it was here three months ago. Um. Yeah, and from there, uh, you know, still developing the sense of becoming an owner of the company and um, yeah, and that led to to the dividend investing. So do you still swing trade at all? No, I don't. I don't. (laughs) I I allocate all my investing uh, funds into uh, dividend stocks and in particular dividend growth stocks. I do have uh, very little that is not dividend growth stocks, but everything I reinvest or whatever I put in my brokerage account is, is today dividend growth stocks.
0: So how do you go about picking these dividend growth stocks and your dividend
1: stocks? Um, if you're a dividend growth stock investor, you obviously need to find stocks that are growing dividend, that dividend each year. And uh, for me, uh, I found uh, very much inspiration or a lot of inspiration in the dividend aristocrats. That's an index that is uh, tracking, I believe you have to be a member of the S&P 500 to be uh, be eligible to be a dividend aristocrat. And then you need to have increased your dividend for the last 25 years. Uh, Currently, there's 64 aristocrats. And I have a link on my page for a free list of all 64 aristocrats. A lot of my followers love to get it. I update it once a month. And it's uh, it's nice that people like it. And also it's a way for me to keep up to date uh, with what's going on. So yeah, that's definitely something I would check out. Um, it, you <clears throat> all my dividend investings are not uh, in this dividend aristocrats index because you'd get very um, yeah, focused. It's difficult to, uh, to get a diversified uh, portfolio with only 64 to choose b- uh, between. And maybe some of them are not growing that much or you don't like the fundamentals and so on. Um, but I tend to look at uh, how well it has performed in terms of dividend growth. I tend to look at how, uh, how high the current, the starting yield is. And then I also uh, incorporate uh, the payout ratio, which is based on earnings, and then the cash flow payout ratio, which is based on cash flow. And that's one of the things, uh, at least uh, I realize when I talk to a lot of investors, if it's on on social media or in real life, that they are very focused on the payout ratio, which is good, but uh, sometimes people get surprised when I say, you need to remember that uh, uh, dividends are paid with cash and not earnings. And it's like, well, I guess you're right. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so that's some of the metrics to, to make it short.
0: So when you say you have an index of dividend aristocrats, so does that mean you own like an ETF or do you own the individual companies?
1: Uh, I'm a stock picker. I believe that, okay. uh, yeah. You you should have at least that's uh, my strategy. I don't believe in just buying an ETF. Uh, I, I I believe in picking the stocks when they are below average valuation and they have good growth. So some of the um, some of the dividend aristocrats have very low growth. Uh, maybe they grow by one cent per year, which I believe. <laughs> at does, so it's just about uh, less than 2%, and uh, others grow, you know, maybe even less in percentage. So it's, uh, yeah, I try to find a good match between still being a stable company and seeing high uh, increase in, in payouts.
0: So is there like a minimum hurdle rate that you have for the dividend yield?
1: Yeah, I would say a threshold. Uh, I try to look at... Um, at what the average yield of the S&P 500 is Uh, and I think uh, I haven't looked at it the last month or so so it could be a little higher today because of the recent decline in the share market but I think it usually it's around uh, 2% uh, and I try to say that I'd like to get you know at least two and a half or three percent so a a bit above the the S&P 500 average.
0: So is there like, similarly, do you have a hurdle rate for the payout ratio and the cash flow payout ratio?
1: Um, not as strict, but obviously if you see that they are increasing, so, so that's more a case by case basis. If you see that they're increasing the, the dividend very slowly, like one cent a year, and you see that every year the payout ratio is, has the last five years has gone closer and closer to 100, then you're starting thinking, how long is this going to last? Um, and I'd like to see the the the, the cash flow, uh, the free cash flow coverage, be uh, be be very good. So there's also still room for uh, you know capex, capital expenditure, for them to to grow the business. So it, I, I don't have any set uh, parameters on it. It's more case by case basis.
0: So, uh do you have like a maximum for the payout ratio? Like, if it's like above this number, I won't invest.
1: Um. Yes and no. no like like generalized. <laughs> yeah. Well, I I tend to look very thoroughly when it's above eighty percent. Um. But also because earnings, you know, earnings include depreciations and amortizations, so. I believe uh, Altria right now uh, has a payout ratio that is far exceeds 100%, uh, but that's due to you know some accounting measures. So I, I really try to not have, um, so I wouldn't just discard a stock if it looks like it has had you know a payout ratio of 30 or 40 for the last five years and then this year all of a sudden it's 150. It would be something I'd look into, and definitely a a, a red flag. But it's not like looking at it and no next.
0: Yeah, it's true. Is there are there like other metrics that you look at, like price to earnings, you know, return on invested capital before you invest in a stock?
1: Yeah, um, like one of uh, the most successful investors of our time, which is not Warren Buffett but uh, Joel Greenblatt. He's famously quoting for saying to buy above-average quality companies at below-average prices, and you know there's a lot of leeway in that sentence. What does that even mean? But to me, the way I look at it, above-average quality companies are companies that have managed to grow their dividend for extended amount of years, uh, and below-average prices means that you are buying it uh, at a better than normal dividend yield for the for this specific company and or also including valuation metrics like price earning forward price earnings price sales and price book uh, what i generally do is that i go to morningstar which has a very nice uh, interface and they show you the average uh, sorry the yearly price earning for the last uh, 10 years and they also show you the 5 year average for price earnings, price sales, price book, and price cash flow, uh, and then I tend to find uh, to calculate the 10-year uh, average myself, and then I compare. And when you see a, a good quality stock like uh, one, one of the recent uh, purchases of last year was uh, Caterpillar, and when you see it is uh, above the average uh, dividend yield for Caterpillar, and when it's below the uh, last ten years average price earning ratio. You probably got something going there.
0: Do you ever invest in REITs, like REITs, real estate investment trusts, because they usually they're known for having high yields, nine percent, ten percent, etc. So, do you own any REITs right now, or are you looking to buy any of them?
1: Well, this is actually a An area where I guess I can still educate myself a little bit, because the way I look at REITs and the business model, what I'm looking for in a dividend stock usually is not within a REIT, at least the way I look at it. Uh, Due to the tax purposes of a REIT, and I'm by no means an expert in this, but the way I understand it is that they generally uh, raise capital for new projects through issuing shares. Whereas normal companies to a larger extent can uh, borrow the money from a a bank. And uh, that means that uh, Reed is in a completely different way, more vulnerable to the yield of the stock than a normal uh, share is. So take Caterpillar. Uh, the senior management might have some kind of stock options. So they would like to see the share price as high as possible. But the dividend is by no means affected by the dividend yield. If the stock market for some reason thinks that the share price should be half uh, and Caterpillar for some reason are still making the same cash flow, they can keep the same dividend in dollars paid out to investors or shareholders. Whereas, REITs, if you want to raise a hundred million dollars for a new uh, project, uh, at least the way I see it, and uh, you find out that that um, yields that investment would yield six percent to the company, and then you say, okay, how much are we paying for the capital? Well, for some reason, the share price is uh, plummeted, so now we pay uh, eight or nine percent in. And that makes the uh, investment for the REIT uh, not, that doesn't have any sense economic wise. So so that's why I don't like that a business where I'm so focused on right. being a part of, of the business, I don't like right. that they are affected by them. We are back to Mr. the market again. But this is one of the right. things that I have. Uh, this is one of the topics where I have most uh, conversations with other investors and uh, maybe I am being too rigid in my assessment. But right now, I just feel like there's so many great, wonderful stocks out there where you can invest in. And I just haven't felt the urge to to go into REITs yet.
0: Have you ever bought any preferred shares? Because, uh, because preferred shares usually tend to yield a lot more than the common stock. Um,
1: that's also something that uh, in my early days, you know, you... Uh, I don't know if I touched on this already, but I think I see this in a lot of dividend investors. It's about it's about getting the 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 highest yield possible. Like, oh yeah, why would I buy uh, you know a Caterpillar at three or four percent when Macy's yields eleven? And uh, mm-hmm. Macy's Macy's is one of the highest yielding stocks in S and P five hundred right now. And Um, You know, that is true, 11 is a greater number than than 4, but what's the long-term return on this stock? If they're going to cut the dividend by 90% next year, like, it's not really a good thing. Um, I did look into preferred shares, but uh, then again, I just feel so much more comfortable owning uh, the ordinary shares. And also because, as far as I know, the preferred shares have different... uh, um, uh, what's it called like uh, setups or, or like uh, for instance the dividend of the preferred share does not increase uh, yeah. as far as I know and also it can be um, the preferred share can be uh, withdrawn by the company within certain limits and it's like I, I hate when someone buys my stock without me saying yes to selling. Right. <laughs> yeah. So
0: and moving on, do you ever do like distressed, uh, distress kind of stock investing? Because, for example, right now Macy's yields 11%, and mm. would you ever, would you ever buy Macy's stock because the dividend yield is actually really high?
1: Yeah, well, I, I'm I'm really a long-term dividend investor, and to me, I don't want to say I never sell, but to me, I the way I look at it, I look at the pile of cash that I am about to part with before I make the investment and then I look at the yield and the hopefully you know uh, cash flow that it would uh, return in perpetuity and uh, then I'm like that cash is sort of like a sunk cost. Uh, so I, I'm not that focused on you know uh, getting high yielders for current income and uh, I, I have really haven't looked into Macy's uh, that much, but as far as I understand, they are a little bit—they uh, uh, have issues with with their business model. And Great. to me, I'd I, I'd rather have someone where I look at a business and say, "Well, I see plenty of room for them to increase the dividend yield over the next, uh, you know, short term or medium term or long term." And right now, there's not an issue with the the. The, the business model and Macy's is more like to me that would be more a gamble and obviously it's down to your your personal preference. Do you have a, do, do you have a high risk or do you have a low risk? And I think being a dividend investor you already have a low risk because you say you you want something stable, you want a, a blue chip stock, right?
0: Great. What are your favorite dividend stocks right now?
1: Um as in, you mean uh, what I think is on sale at the moment, or? Yeah, what you think is yeah.
0: on sale. Uh,
1: you know, it's obviously uh, always very dangerous to, to make any financial advice. So this, <laughs> this is by no means financial advice, but I can say it's from, not. A personal, from a personal standpoint, uh, I think that Walgreens is, uh, you know, very undervalued at the moment. Uh, uh, that's one of the that's probably the one at the top of my list. Uh, what else? I just recently opened a small position in Cisco, uh, at uh, 40 lots of people. Been, lots, Sorry,
0: yeah, lots of people I know have been buying Cisco.
1: Yeah, it, it's it's they were a little, uh, the, the latest financial, they, they did a very low dividend increase, but I still think on average, uh, the last few years, they look like to be very much on track.
0: So, moving on, what, 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 you, what is your take on the entire coronavirus issue that uh, that's going on right now? You know, the last week, the Federal Reserve cut rates as well. So, what is your opinion on it?
1: Yeah, I saw they cut the, the 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 rates, and then it was like it had a 20-minute impact or something on the market. And <laughs> it's uh, I I didn't see the 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 presentation. If I don't know if they directly mentioned Corona or not, but if it was a a result of Corona, I think it's just madness. Like you have so low interest <laughs> rates and like it to me it seems like uh, we are just so many people are so afraid of having a recession and to me it's uh, part of the normal economic cycle and i don't want a recession per se but you 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 can't keep it away forever and i uh, i uh, okay. yeah i don't want to be an expert on this either but but i was very surprised to see the cut but then again uh what what did it help nothing basically
0: do you think we're going to be headed for a larger crash or do you think it's gonna you know cool down a little
1: oh that's so tough like i i try not to (laughs) that's
0: the million dollar question
1: (laughs) yeah well then again i'm i'm a i'm a um, a long-term investor and I don't remember, I think it was Peter Lynch who said that he uh, spends 15 minutes a year looking at economic numbers, like he doesn't really care where the economy goes, he cares about the individual stock, the individual business, are they still making money and yes, uh, taking Coca-Cola again, okay, they would maybe see some impact on it, but is this going to be the end of the world and for... uh, large extent it is never gonna be the end of the world uh, so I, right. I try to have uh, the focus on the long term and see this as a buying opportunity and again if right. I see a yield I like if I see uh, valuation I like then I buy into the stock and you know keep it for the long term
0: right. and you know just out of curiosity since you're in Denmark I want to ask you you know in Denmark, apparently, for taking out a mortgage, you get paid to take out a mortgage, and you get paid to take out a loan. So what do you think of that, and how do you think that's going to affect Denmark, like, personally?
1: Yeah, that's, that's a very uh, peculiar situation right now. Uh, in Denmark, you can get a 30-year fixed rate for 0.5%. And if yeah. you want to have a refinancing, I think all the way up to five or 10 years, it's going to be a gross uh, negative interest rate. That is before fees and other things. So most people do still pay a little, but at the other end, the bondholder is actually paying to uh, lend out money. And that is peculiar in a lot of senses. <laughs> Um <clears throat> I actually did some... Um, Research on it, uh, or some math on it, uh, some time ago, where if I bought a stock like AT&T, which was uh, uh, I think five or six percent at the time, I did the calculation in yield, uh, and I said that I would pay interest only for ten years, and I assumed that the inter- that the yield of um, the yield of at and would stay the same through those ten years, and then I'd reinvest the dividends. After ten years, the, the the when I needed to start uh, paying down the mortgage, the cash flow from that position would be able to uh, pay off the loan, which is crazy. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of risk in it. You shouldn't, you, shouldn't, you know, put uh, a few hundred thousand dollars worth in one stock, uh, especially not if you finance it. But it was just really, really weird to to see that. Huh, if I assume that this stock will yield 5% for the next 10 years, I can, in 30 years, I can have all these AT&T stocks for free. But it is crazy. No, it's to free think money. money. <laughs> yeah, almost.
0: <laughs> all right. Thank you so much for being on my podcast.
1: Well, you're welcome. It was uh, great. And um, take care.
0: Yeah, you too.